Alright, alright, alright. Let's see what we got here. Hello, hello, hello. Alright. Can you hear me? Can you hear me? If you can't hear me, I cannot hear you. Um, let's see. Hmm. It's kind of showing that you're connected, but let me just have that screen see. Um Oh, now it's working. All right, all right. How's it going? Good, how are you? Hey, it's working. <laughs> Good morning. Um, hey, man. So, well, I'm Zach. <laughs> um, Hi, Zach. Yeah, thanks for making time to do this. I know this is random, but um, I just woke up like a few minutes ago, but I'm not, my brain is not all there. But yeah, so... Um, Oh, wait. Oh, I can see you. <laughs> the room I'm in is super dark. I don't know if you can see me, but anyways. Um, yeah, so I guess let's just start with um, with all the uh, autobiographical stuff. So tell me a little bit about your who you are and how you came to, to be on the Bridges of Meaning Discord server and all that. So, yeah, just whatever details seem relevant to you. Okay, and if you need me to adjust my audio or anything, you'll let me know. Yeah, it seems good. Uh, it seems good to me at the moment. But okay. Uh, well, my name is Ulysses. I'm from the Maritimes in Canada, so that's East Coast Canada. Gotcha. And uh, yeah, so I grew up there, and. Uh, about, and I think it was 12 years ago, I get to the other coast, moved to uh, Vancouver. And uh, almost two years ago, I moved to a little bit east, about uh, four hours uh, east of Vancouver uh, in an area known as uh, British Columbia Interior. Okay, um, so um, I guess, did you grow up a Jehovah's Witness? Is that, I know one of the things you drew was 
in relation to that or did is that part of your life story or um or are you drive or are you drawing that as like a, an outsider i guess yeah i did make a comic book called the time traveling jehovah's witness and it is an autobiographical story yeah and uh yeah so I, that definitely grew up uh, i was born three years after my parents converted to jehovah's witness uh after leaving the catholic church hmm. yeah definitely i grew up uh, jehovah's witness and i left when i was an adult i, I made a few attempts at leaving uh, before that but like I completely left uh when i was an adult i gotcha yeah um when you say attempts at leaving like um is it a thing where i mean i assume there's i assume they don't like it very much if you try to leave <laughs> but that <laughs> like like what what happened in those cases it i basically uh, sorry i can't think straight um is it something where like it would just you knew it was going to create a huge problem within your family and stuff like that? Um. Y yes and no. I mean, uh, so yeah. So there's definitely like control mechanisms in place uh, with like the, sh the shunning of friends and family, and uh, which is pretty serious when you're in a in a social network that's highly secluded, mm. um, you end up losing basically all of your network. Um, so, mm. but not consciously, you know, I, I didn't really think about it that deeply. Um, my other siblings had left and been shunned. So in the back of my mind, I knew what happened, right? Mm. Um, when you decide to, go a different direction with in your life. Um, but it was more, uh, it was a very intu intuitive process for me. I didn't really like kind of sit down and make a list of pros and cons or, yeah. or uh, reason out why these people are not right or anything like that. It yeah. was, um, I would, I would get uh, sick, you know, I'd get depressed. And then uh, I'd start, you know, sort of like acting out or uh, just coming, coming unhealthy and, and doing unhealthy things, which in retrospect, I'm, I'm seeing as attempts to get out of that environment, right? Yeah. Um, but because the, the stakes are so high, it's virtually impossible. Yeah to make attempts at leaving in a conscious way, mm. right? Because it takes an incredible, incredible amount of, of uh, fortitude to do that. Some people do it, but I just, that's not, that's not how I, uh, I did it. Plus I, I was in, I went in pretty far, you know, I, yeah. I got the, I got, uh, I had titles, like, I guess, uh, uh, I was a regular pioneer and ministerial servant. And uh, so I guess the equivalent of that would be kind of like maybe in the Catholic church would be like 
a deacon or even more would be like a priest because you're so active. Mm. So many hours put into it. Uh, so regular pioneer, that's uh, 90 hours a month doing door-to-door work mm. and uh, lots of ministerial servant duties, which is uh, five meetings a week uh, where you're doing something um, plus the ancillary stuff. And if you want to be in good standing, you have to have all your study, you have to be studied up and, you know, you, you, it's, it's impossible to have a, have like an actual life, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's crazy. Are your, so how old were you when you, when you left the, like for good, basically? Um, It's hard to put a date on it because it was like a multi-year process, right? Yeah. Where you're just gradually kind of peeling back the layers. Right. Um, but I guess I guess the age, I could look back and say, yeah, it's 100% done. It would be something like, I don't know, 30, yeah. 33, 4, 5, something like that. I gotcha. And are your parents still, are they still in? My, my parents have died. Oh, I got you. I got you. But did, did they stay in while they were, you know, while they were alive or did they leave? Oh, well? yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. They, they, they had, they placed all their chips on black. Hmm. Man, that's, wow. Um, so I don't know. I have a couple of different questions, I guess. So I, did you, I guess it probably was helpful in some regards that you already had siblings who had left. So you kind of, you knew that they, I guess you knew that they weren't crazy. And so no matter what someone said about them, I guess, uh, on the inside, you, you knew them deeper than that, I guess. And, um, so I guess that would... I don't know. That would make it a, a little bit easier. Once you did leave, did you like did you become an atheist at least for like a time period of time or something? Like a kind of did you have just a general bent towards being anti like authority of any kind or something like that? So, first, um I did think my siblings were crazy. Um <laughs> wow. I was I was told to think that, and I was told to shun them for it, and I did. Mm. You know, I, I um, that's how I was instructed, and I followed the instructions, right? Wow. Um, it took yeah, it took a while to kind of come around and change the the narrative in my own mind. Um, so when I did leave, um. Did I have a period when I was an atheist? I would say that I was the most atheist uh, at the very end before I left because mm. I was, you know, quite depressed and it seemed to me like um, there wasn't much meaning, right, to life. Mm-hmm. Um, and it like, it just seemed like the world was dead. And, you know, the those witness culture is kind of facilitates that it's, it's quite modern as a religion um 
like in the in the sense that it was it started just not very long ago, you know, uh, like a hundred twenty years ago, one hundred fifty years ago. Yeah. And but also, um, it's quite kind of enlightenment in a weird way, enlightenment thinking, and it's in in a weird way like it's uh, they. Uh, it goes it goes hard against anything that anyone could possibly at any time think think of being superstitious right uh so there there are no crosses there are no images um that that their their meeting halls are just that their meeting halls uh, they you know they're not beautiful they're just you know quite uh what, what is it what's the functional they're um yeah utilitarian yeah utilitarian um mm. and the uh so that uh, it their the whole worldview and that like they eliminate ritual a lot there's really no ritual um like basically no ritual it's more like a business mm. um uh, and they come across as a little bit like salesmen, right? Yeah. Well, it's it, 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 it's a little bit like a there's like a Namway vibe to it, right? Yeah, yeah. So it kind of trains you to the, all that stuff, like on a on a ritual level, on a spiritual level, it kind of trains you to to have a worldview that it's like your posture is that the world's not alive right it doesn't have spirit it doesn't have beauty it doesn't have imagination right mm. so at the very end i was getting more and more sick you know mental health physical health and that's when i became the most the most nihilist the most atheist but mm. uh, you know the, the heart yearns for life right so i was always reaching in some way or another uh, to try to you know to, to try to find that there was that the world was alive mm. but uh yeah at the, at the very end i became maybe not atheist but uh but nihilist and uh sort of like i, I don't i don't i just didn't care really about god and stuff like that but it, it wasn't very long i kind of you know i'm a fighter mm. so i, I kind of started so i went pretty quick into spiritual stuff yeah um, yeah and so well that yeah and what was yeah go ahead, go ahead. yeah so i was no just place. thinking like the i i live in georgia the the state of georgia and i <laughs> i mentioned that because there's a guy on the server that lives in the country of georgia but um yeah so and I grew up in a, uh, I guess, like, non-denominational evangelical church, and it was very, a lot of what you described rings true of it. And I always try to be a little bit careful with talking about it, because a lot of the people are still people I care very much about now, and that kind of thing. Like, it's not like everyone involved was, like, some evil person or anything, but but um, what you were saying about it being very, actually very modern in a weird way uh and being not tied to these like really really old you know traditions and stuff 
um, rings very true of it in that it, when I, I guess when I started to have really hard questions, uh, the, the things that helped me with those questions were uh, very old, and they were like going to writers and stuff who preceded that whole like time frame, and there was something like calmer about um, older writings and stuff that was, I don't know, I guess the way that it was when I grew up, I assumed that that was all there was to understand about God, and so min- so much of it didn't add up to me and that was very that was very uh disturbing because i knew that there was i knew that it wasn't wise to just write the idea of god off um i didn't i found more wisdom in the people in my church than in people who would do that so so i was just caught in between two things that you know seemed very i had nowhere to go really um so but the idea of it being very like post-enlightenment is fascinating that it's like highly oriented towards like individualism and um and like rationalism and stuff like that like the weird thing about the tradition i grew up in is that it thought that it wasn't in a tradition like it thought that and and the pastor and everyone they everyone would, would speak as if this they were having these ideas and these ideas were not tied to the perversion of any long-standing tradition but you know, but in reality, they were downstream of the tradition of of the Enlightenment, which is without ever knowing it. Um, and there was a there was a huge, yeah, there was a huge kind of um, suspicion, I guess, of of art and creativity and all that stuff. Like that that was very very um, unimportant, if not like demonic, you know. And I. Um, yeah, so that, that had a big impact on me. Um, but this brings me to the next thing I want to ask you about. Tell me about your journey with like drawing and creating stuff. Like how young did it start? And then what is your, where, like how much, what is your relationship to it now? I guess. Yeah. So yeah, just, just before that, I wanted to add to some, some of what you were saying, like going back to like ancient stuff i think um i don't know how controlling the the religion you were in was but jehovah's witnesses are very controlling it's a high control environment Mm. and uh, what it sounds to me like you went from uh evangelical christian to a different kind of christian is that right yeah so um i actually just started going to a lutheran church and that's been, okay. I just had never, because of the way I grew up, I had never really been to a more, a slightly more traditional church. And so I didn't know what to expect. But what I ended up finding is that in the evangelical church, all the the thing that replaces the the gap where, where tradition would be is usually charisma. So it's like a very charisma-oriented system where if like the guy is very charismatic and you feel all the things then you walk out mm-hmm. thinking that went the way it was supposed to. And if he didn't, then you walk out thinking that didn't go the way it was supposed to. So in that, and so that to me seemed a little bit too similar to the mindset of a person who's trying to blow up on Instagram. Like it's a rather similar orientation. And so okay. when I went to the Lutheran church and it's all, it's all this like 
it's a lot of it is written down and the guy wears this like thing uh and all that uh when i when i was younger if i'd have seen the guy wear the the thing that goes over his shirt or whatever i don't know what it's called but i would have seen all the tradition and stuff and thought like this is like boring or lame or something like that and it can sometimes be boring but in general when i see it now i see the I see the whole I see the leader guy and all the other people putting their personality under the authority of something that came before them. So there's humility like baked into the structure of it. And and because out in the world there's so little of that uh out in the world that when I'm there it's very healing because it's a very different set of values than you know than than just let's get famous or whatever, you know. And so being at church and feeling like this is a, a kind of fame-oriented thing uh, is very was kind of disorienting to me, I guess. And, um, okay. yeah, I don't know that that's true for everyone, and I don't want to speak too broadly because, like, I, I could I can at least imagine someone who is wired, like, the opposite of me, like, personality-wise or whatever, and for them, that, like, clicks with them, but... Um, but there's something very healing about being at church and no one there, and it's not a charisma-oriented system. There's a lot of honor in it. There's a lot of, like, um, yeah, there's a lot of history and stuff. Like, the first time I went, I brought an energy drink with me, and I had it under my seat. And this is a random little detail, but it's just something I noticed. And when the service started, it felt it felt wrong to drink the energy drink. Like, it felt like it would be... I could, there was like a sense of reverence and, and no one would have cared, right? No one would have like knocked it out of my hand. It just seemed like this is where it, it just seemed off, you know? And, and that was a, and I was really pleasantly surprised by that sense of reverence, you know what I mean? And I, something that I, I really didn't ever uh, experience before. And, and I understand that the evangelical tradition is trying to re- remove the, the way that tradition can turn into snobbery and, like cold-heartedness and, and all that kind of stuff. So there is a there is a value to, you know, egalitarianism or whatever, but our culture has pushed that as far as it goes. So so now that is no longer like a need. Um and and now we have a need for where is what is sacred? Where is uh where does reverence belong? And when can uh I put down my individualism even just for like 5 minutes and and be and, and to surrender to something, you know? Okay, thanks for clarifying that. Uh, I was asking because earlier you'd asked uh, about my position towards like authority and that sort of thing mm-hmm. when I when I left, and um, for me, I had I had no interest in any sort of institution whatsoever. Yeah, um, because I was betrayed by an institution that uh, that uh, announced itself to be uh, you know loving and have my own in- my best interests at heart and it was you know quite the opposite turns out right mm. so I did not so I became quite uh, like DIY about my spirituality right yeah uh, because of that yeah so um for me i became a lot more interested in uh 
you know, esotericism, the occult, and magic, that that sort of thing. Like new um, age stuff, I guess. Um, that's no. that's one way to put it. Um, I wouldn't care. The thing is, is like within any sort of domain, there's the the real nerds about it. You know, have all these categories. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That nobody outside of it cares. Right, you know? right, right. So it's like, to an atheist, like all the Christians are all just Christians. You know. Yeah. But uh, within the Christian realm, these <laughs> distinctions matter. So. Yeah. No, I. I um, yeah. So yeah. So I. I. But the thing is, is uh, I, I. I was thinking about that actually just tonight. Um, part of what draws people to this sort of thing, I think that Christians uh, often don't understand because they, they think it's just like, well, why would you do that? It's demonic or whatever, you know, um, because they, they're looking at it from the outside and they don't necessarily understand the, the appeal because they, maybe they never, mm-hmm. it never appealed to them. Right. Yeah. Which is completely natural, but it, there's a promise there that the uh, the world's alive and you can interact with it, right? Mm-hmm. Which is what magic is, right? It's um, it says like if you say these things and make these gestures and point your face at certain stars or whatever, um, things are going to happen. So for somebody who's starved mm-hmm. for like a a worldview where or a world that has life in it uh, and that like is ensconced in in a modern worldview where you know the life is flattened out of it uh, that's something extremely appealing right and uh i yeah and i always found it uh unsatisfying the christian you know um the christian explanation to avoid this sort of thing is that like you know something like playing with ouija boards will bring demons and that's just not satisfying to somebody who's steeped in it whereas i feel like a stronger explanation now that i'm on the other side of it is that i'm sure the the world will be alive but it's also this sort of spiritual practice teaches you uh, that the world's alive because of things you do instead of the world's alive because of grace, right? Um, so it's kind of like uh, Aaron saying, uh, I made the water come out of the rock. That's the error, right? Mm. It's, no, you didn't, right? The, 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 the life is there because it's a gift, mm. not because of anything not because you're doing something right? right so it's very it teaches you something uh that a, a christian would consider to be satanic not because everything in the occult summons demons but the, the occult by by nature teaches you ultimately a self-centered and prideful mm-hmm. uh, behavior right yeah so, yeah, it's yeah, a way to try yeah. to so the so the universe is animated, but this but it's trying to uh, invite you to have power over it rather than to you know rather than to 
yeah, it's like a way to, it's almost like I heard Peter Crave, who's this um, Catholic, uh, you know, like writer type guy. He said, and uh, he's also a, the professor of philosophy at uh, the college in uh, Chicago, whatever it's called. Anyways, he said that he laid out four like categories. So science, religion, technology, and magic. And he said that, you know, for a long time, people would associate um, religion and I think he said people would associate like religion and magic and science and technology, and they would break it up that way. This would be like a secular person, right? But his argument was that magic and technology go together and science and religion go together because magic and technology are both a way to demonstrate manipulative power over something. So so uh, technology being how do we manipulate matter and magic being how do we manipulate things which are not matter. And... Um, and science and religion being how do we map these things and kind of understand them or whatever. But I think what you just said is so powerful on many levels. The first one being that there's something extremely dangerous about um, having a Christianity that has no – that isn't animated, that is very dead, and very that is where only reason exists. And because it uh, – yeah – because it does remove meaning and it does remove the idea that it does remove reverence. Like only what it, it's a very self-centered thing in its own way where it's about what your mind can master. And if your mind can't master it, it can't exist. Um, Chesterton once said that in, in his chapter, the maniac, which is one of the best, it's really the best thing I've ever read on, on this topic. But, um, he mentioned that the thing which causes people to go mad, to go like lose their mind, is reason is the man who has reason but has lost everything else. Not the man who has lost his reason, but the man who has reason and has lost everything else. And so um, he basically said that. Um, anyway, I'll stop it there because I, I don't want to keep going into all of it, and I haven't had much coffee, so I can't speak very well. But um, <laughs> but. Um, but let, let's talk – let's go back to your, your journey with drawing and stuff, like when, when you started and, and where you're at with it now. Yeah, so I was always very, like, talented. Um, I just – whatever kind of, like, I picked up, especially creative stuff, but also sports a little bit. Um, but more of the creative stuff, I always had a knack for it, always, like, had a strong imagination as a kid and um, yeah I would draw quite a bit and uh, I remember one teacher in school when I, I graduated from uh, middle school <laughs> and we had a little ceremony for when, when we're, we were going to go to high school yeah there was one, one teacher who you know she said like you need to go in the arts and she was she like grabbed me and she was telling me urgently you know mm. and uh, thinking back now I, I realized like they kind of understood my family situation it was a small town everybody knew each other and they, they she, I'm sure she understood that you know uh, you're being limited right mm. uh, so I remember her telling me that and uh, and uh, in I also I picked up guitar when I was 15. Uh, I did that for a long time. I was in a band for several years, and um, I did I did quite a bit of music 
Uh, I stuck with it for tw- 27 years. I did a podcast about music. And uh, my when I went to college, that was around my 20s, late 20s, um, I took graphic design. So And I worked in that field for uh, about a decade. Um, but when I moved to Vancouver, uh, Vancouver has a graphic design college. So it turns out a lot of junior designers who are willing to work at a low salary. So um, like a, a mid-level graphic designer like I was, uh, just new to town with no connections. It was like really tough to compete against these you know 22 year old mm-hmm. graphic denier designers willing to work for thirty five thousand dollars a year right yeah so um i pivoted uh, ended up working uh, in uh, real estate management uh, and that's still what i do and just um i, I pursued my music thing as much as i could because i was finally um in a larger urban environment and away from the control of the religion I grew up in and finally I get the ball rolling on that and uh, I did that but um, you know a lot a lot of I lost my band I got my year stolen and it got me kind of rethinking my my creative career and uh, Mm. I just I decided to pick up drawing which was the thing that was intermittently always with me and uh, turns out I really like it so I've, I've started uh, making comic books and publishing them on Substack, and so far I'm just still in the beginning stages. I'm, I've published some short stories, but I've started working on like some longer form stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have any? Um, do you have any aspiration to like publish them physically at any point, or is it not practical to yeah, do that? Not practical at this point. Right. Um, will be practical when i have like a more substantial audience yeah uh, of readers yeah. so first uh, i'm going to build that up by publishing them digitally right and then uh yeah i'll probably go for the crowdfunding model to eventually um unless i can publish through a small publisher but uh yeah you know i'm not gonna end my hopes on you know, a publisher discovering me or anything like that. I'm going to do my <laughs> yeah. best to, yeah. Yeah. I do my best to do, do it crowdfunding or something. That's awesome. So <clears throat> let's talk more about this because a lot of people are in this position where they're, they're a like creatively oriented person, but they don't necessarily pay their bills with it or whatever. And I would say most creative people are in that position. How has it changed um, moving from being a graphic designer where, it's like an integral part of the of the job you have to to the times before that and the times after how has it changed your relationship to trying to uh, to be creative and what is your like what is the the schedule at which you try to uh, draw or whatever like do you make times to draw and how do you how did you get to the point where you could allow yourself to take it that seriously where it was like scheduled and stuff and do you feel more free now that you don't have to make money off it? Or, uh, I don't know, just like, yeah, anything in that um, area, I guess. Yeah. So, for graphic design, um, I was using my 
software skills more than my illustration skills. I was using my visual skills, my cre visual creative creativity skills, but uh, working in newspapers, doing layouts and ads uh, on a tight deadline, and you're just turning out, uh, turning out ads, turning out layouts, um, doesn't really. You know, it's not creatively satisfying. There's some creativity to it, and it's definitely um, paid off now that I've went to comics. You know, with layouts, mm -hmm. I've got a bit of a. It's coming back my skills of like how to fit things in, and and uh, you know, creative design principles helps you know guide the eye, and uh, it's definitely paying off. It's it's helping out. Um, so I haven't really experienced um, the hustle of, you know, uh, okay, I got to come up with some sort of illustration job or something like that. Um, this is this is all new to me. Uh, I've never done any, like, I've done a little bit of logo design work and stuff like that, but it's always hit and miss. So, but a nine to five, what's the difference? Um, well, right now, right now, because I'm not working in graphic design, when I, when I'm setting aside time to draw, I'm not burnt out mm -hmm. thinking creatively. Um, all my creativity, creative energy can go into the drawing. And I do make time. You you asked about the scheduling. Uh, it's absolutely absolutely necessary to be disciplined, uh, especially now that I'm going for longer form stuff. Um, it's it's a marathon, so um, I have a time budget. Um, so and I because I, ha I have a full time job, so I draw every more every week day morning from five a.m. To seven, seven, seven thirty a.m. Mm. And then uh, on Saturdays, I wake up super early because I have an adoration chapel shift at one a.m. So from um, when I'm I'm done that from about two thirty to eight a.m. including breaks, then I, I'm drawing. That's my schedule. It ends up being about 30 hours a week. Mm. Um, wow. And it means no TV, <laughs> right? <laughs> or practically no TV. Yeah. Unless, you know, something goes well and I have free time that I can watch TV. It means I like watching hockey, no hockey. Um, mm. You know, because if, if you're going to set aside that amount of time, that means you're working. 70 hours a week you have to have a fitness regimen and good nutrition otherwise you burn out so that means whatever fun things you might be interested in doing you know it's no you have to do fitness right yeah how have you stayed um, motivated as far as like let's say i don't know let's say you're a bunch of hours in and you know the end result whatever the end result in your head is hasn't happened yet like you know, how how do you, are there times when you struggle to be, you know, 
motivated with it and and how do you push through those times i guess yeah um so first you set goals but your goals shouldn't be your goals um there's a guy his name is i think it's alexander or mosey his last name's for mosey oh i know yeah yeah uh, yeah, he talks about, I don't know, I have like a little bit some life coach vibes off of him and I'm not <laughs> sure about him, but once in a while I'll watch his stuff and he's got some interesting thoughts. And one thought I I had from him I thought was good was that your goal shouldn't be an outcome. Your goal should be, you create a process and your goal should be sticking to the process right so the way i become satisfied and i stay motivated is when i successfully do my gesture drawings for 5 to 5 30 and then i do a regular drawing from 5 30 to 6 and from 6 to 7 you know i do I, I draw something else more detailed or whatever if i stick to that process and I did my stretches and I drank my water, mm. then I've reached my goal, yeah. right? So every day you just kind of stick to that list you have. Yeah. And the goal is to do it every day. Right. And eventually I will have done that for three, five, seven, ten years. Right? Yeah. yeah. And 30 hours a week for 10 years is a lot of hours. Right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so how did you so, come to that's awesome. Um how did you come to find out about uh the bridges of meaning thing and you know how did you stumble upon it, I guess? Yeah, so here's another thing. Um I get a, I get a bit of a platform that I wanted to mention to to Christians, right? To people who have or been steeped in this culture is um, people arrive at Christ through things that are ostensibly not Christ, okay? So the, my way of arriving at Bridges of Meaning is a perfect example of that. This is Now, I'm not advocating for, you know, people to do mm -hmm. dangerous things, right? Sure. Just here's just a way to add some subtlety to it which i think bridges of meaning prides is, is it strives to have right there's some subtlety so in my practice of the occult uh i found my way to this writer magician his name's gordon white um now he's unlike anybody in the scene uh, the guy is a very, very sharp, smart thinker and good writer. And uh, he provides instruction on magic and stuff, which I I paid for. And in his premium membership, he has extra content. And there was this discussion on mythology, and he uh, linked to something. And I was like, okay, I'll go check that out. And it was a one of uh, Jordan Peterson's U of T 
lectures on uh, mythology, and he was talking about Milton. Mm. And I had no idea who this guy was. And I'm like, who is this guy? Like, what is he saying? And it was so fascinating. And uh, I did some digging, found out he's a Canadian, which I'm Canadian. Mm -hmm. And I started looking into, into this Dr. Peterson guy, which, and his um, way of looking at uh, the Bible and Christian stuff overlapped with my way of looking at, you know, the world. Mm -hmm. And it really caused me to think, okay, I've, I really don't have an actual opinion about Christianity, mm. right? This is, is, I just like, I have a TV opinion about Christianity, <laughs> <laughs> right? And uh, so it, it got me thinking and I followed that. And eventually, you know, George Peterson leads to Jonathan Tugrow, leads to Paul Van Kerkley and so on and so forth, which now I've been attending, uh, I've been attending church two years, just about two years straight, right? And um, I'm volunteering at the church. And uh, I was offered a shift at an adoration chapel, uh, which I do. It's one in the morning, right? Mm -hmm. And I pray, and I read the Bible, right? And this is from a guy who is like, you know, adjacent to demonology, yeah, right? <laughs> <laughs> All right? So, yeah, yeah. So, through that, so the thing is, is, yeah, of course, there are, there are guidelines and there are things to be careful about. But at the end of the day, if the claim about God's love and power is true, then we ought to have faith that um, that his his uh, his love can supersede all, right? Mm. Yeah. So tell me about the chapel, uh, this chapel uh, thing that you're you're talking about. So, so how does it work? So you go at one in the morning and you just tell me about that. I don't I don't really know what you mean by that. Yeah. So I was going to church. Um, and they have this thing, it's labeled Adoration Chapel. No idea what it was. Every time I'm looking at me, like, what is that? And I'd want to, you know, I'm skittish because of my upbringing. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, I'm going slowly. I want to make sure I'm making the right decisions. And um, Anyway, I, uh, I one day, just, uh, I don't know, about a, a month ago, this one lady comes up to me and my wife and she starts up a conversation and she says, uh, we need, uh, we need, a, a somebody to take a shift, a one hour shift at the adoration chapel. And, uh, you know, and we are like, well, we're, we're not baptized or anything. And she's like, oh no, it's, uh, it's fine, whatever. And, um, turns out this thing is a little, kind of mini church sort of attached to the church uh, and it's its own room and it 
they put the host, the the holy host, the bread there. They put it in a they call it a monstrance, uh, just basically like a display, and it's very ornate. Uh, parts of it made of gold with ruby embedded in it, and uh, it's quite beautiful. And they have pews, and uh, the idea is that uh, this is this is the body of Christ, right? The idea is it's Jesus, okay, um, like the host, whatever. And um, and they because it's such a big deal. It's supposed to be God. Uh, they have twenty four hour vigil, mm. right? Because it's I don't know why of the, the theology or whatever, but I mean, just from a guy, I'm just a guy. Yeah. To me, it makes sense that if you believe it's God that you don't just like put it there and take off, right? <laughs> Somebody needs to be there to adore this this presence, this person, right? If it's really like God. Yeah. So so they needed somebody to take the one AM Saturday morning shift, which is this this uh, in a manner of speaking an ungodly hour, right? <laughs> and uh, so she, she insists followed up and, and again, like, well, we're not baptized or whatever. And I don't even, I'm taking it day by day. I don't even know if I will get baptized, right? Mm. And she, she said, no, Jesus is for everyone. That was her answer. So, mm. so I was like, well, it's kind of, it's kind of not right for me to refuse this honor, right? Um, and so, so we, we took it. So we kind of built our whole time budget around this 1am shift for the whole week. Mm -hmm. And you, you go there and, um, you just go there and that's it. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you honor this, the God. <laughs> And uh, because it's a 1 a.m. thing, it's, uh, it's it, the, the door's locked for security. Um, and um, so nobody's going to come in. And so and nobody's going to tell you you're doing it wrong. Right? So there's like a high level of trust. So which is like kind of a big deal. It kind of makes you feel like, you know, you don't want to mess it up. And so... You can pray. You can, I, I do. I pray for a while, and I read the Bible. And I've never liked the Bible. <laughs> I always thought the Bible was just boring and, and dumb. But <laughs> there was one there, and I started reading it, and it worked. And I've, I actually like it now. I'm invested in the story. And, um, so yeah, that's. I think that's the, that. Yeah. Two in the morning, the the guy comes, knocks on the door, and he takes his shift, and you go home. Yeah, that's awesome. That's that's so cool. I've, I, I'm, you know, as someone, I've been in church my whole life, but I'm not really aware of that. But I like the idea, something you said, like, that you're invested in the story, you know, that there's something about the the internet and the way that we live now where you can kind of opt out of participating in almost everything. And there, 
like we're starting to understand like what what you lose in that and how important i guess participation in various physical things actually is you know and how not arbitrary it is and um yeah just this idea of the idea of you building your week around that it it gives your week a kind of and i guess this is what church is supposed to do right it gives your week a time where you try to um surrender to something and uh and there's something very healing about that and um I guess Peugeot helped me a lot with thinking of it in in more of like a structural way that uh, that I guess that there are that there are things above humans uh, and that obviously God being above humans. But in the tradition that I grew up in, like I said, it was it was so like um, it was so rational and stuff. You never really got the sense it was so it was very morally based, which it, which it must be because. I, I get that that's important, but it was so individualistic and it was so um, heavy on, on rationality and stuff that I sort of got the sense growing up that God was kind of like a peer that you tried to not mess up in front of. It wasn't, he wasn't, yeah, so it was sort of like we were sort of competing and pretending we weren't competing, but we were all like, hamsters on a wheel and um yeah but but the the structure itself suggested that god was kind of like a peer more than a thing that you that is infinitely uh above you and and outside of you and so there's a certain amount to which if god is only this abstract like out there thing then it can be very depersonalized but if god is only um what fits in your head then you end up not wanting to worship uh him at all because if it if it fits in your head it's by definition smaller than you are and why would you worship something smaller than you are yeah well this has been a really good conversation and um it's great to to get to know you a bit um yeah um any anything you want to add before we uh before we wrap it up i guess um, well, kind of related to like, you know, making different, different things that make, that, that, that causes a tendency to, to, for the individual to think that they're the main character in the world. Um, like your last article in your Substack about regret, uh, and you, you, you mentioned an example of like, oh well, I should have asked that girl out, <laughs> and you know, and uh, you know, it would have everything would have been different. Yeah, um, <laughs> would have never had a problem ever thing. again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, which, which, um, it got me thinking about you know, thinking like that is is a subtle way of thinking that well what I do is the thing that matters the most. Mm. Whereas the the world is created from my actions. Mm. Right? As opposed to uh there is grace and the world comes to me as a gift. Mm. 
Um, so this regret thing seems like it's a, I think it's a false humility. Mm. Uh, because it's like feeling bad for, oh, I should have done better. It's, it's, uh, it's thinking that uh, if you, if, if you would do better, everything else would be better. But that's, I don't think that's what I, I don't know. I'm I'm just a guy and I'm especially that I'm new, but I don't think that's what Jesus is trying to tell us. I think Jesus is trying to tell us that um the good like your life your life is a gift. It's not it's not about you. Okay. Mm. And and you you have to you have to accept it and, and receive it, right? Um which I, I think is what the whole bread and wine thing it's like i'm giving this to you right it's you don't it's not a thing you made you you get it so i i thought your thoughts on regret really got me thinking about that like how it's so easy to slip into main character mode right yeah um yeah whereas it is preferable to to uh to be in the mode that you know god's the main character and he happens to uh gift you with grace yeah yeah i guess the reason that regret is is so powerful for me is that i know there's some aspect of my life that is dependent on my courage and i don't i agree with everything you just said i think it's very like profound uh I just the reason that regret can be so powerful is that at the end of my life if I know that I just didn't have the courage for what for the gift I was given then I know that I uh, I know that I will regret that but that doesn't necessarily mean that I have to I have to have all the things the world would suggest I have to have um but I do need to I do want to die knowing that I that I treated the thing I was given as someone who I was brave enough to do something with the thing I was given and to not waste it and to not there you know the 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 parable of the talents and stuff to not get scared and and bury it um because um yeah I think I think I yeah the times that I regret the most are those times they're the times when I just didn't have the courage for for what the gift was but i'm but i'm definitely with you that um there can be i can move into a place where there's no there's no grace and there's only there's only me out alone in in the universe you know and so i better hold it together and i've mentioned this before on my podcast but i went through a divorce about a year ago and you know given that i'm was a christian and am i was like extremely hesitant to do that and very scared of like what it would imply about me and all that kind of stuff and but once it and so it was not made rashly and i don't think they usually are but once it happened um there was something that really healed me and that was everyone i knew knew about it and 
to me, the way that I was structured internally, I just felt like the world was going to end if I failed, basically. So I couldn't fail. And then once mm. that, once that happened, everyone I knew knew, so it was public. And I'm not saying it helped anyone particularly. It, it probably did do some damage. But I would go on Facebook. I'm not on there anymore, but I would go on Facebook, and I would see the extent to which for most people it was just like Wednesday, you know? And uh, <laughs> and noticing how much they were not paying attention to me was extremely healing. Like a piece went into place then that had never been in place before that. Um, and, it, and it impressed on me that, you know, your decisions do matter, but um, but not the way you think. Uh, you're right. just you're just one of us. And you know, where you weren't holding it all up beforehand and you're not now. <laughs> but well this yeah. has been well thank you so much, man. This has been a great conversation and uh great to to get to know you. And um I hope that everything works on the tech side and the levels are okay and all that stuff. I tested it some last night, but we'll just see. Uh, who knows? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, same, same to me. Thank you very much. I really enjoyed having a conversation with you. Yeah, and uh, and uh, yeah, I'll be, uh, I'll reach out to you again here soon, and and we'll go from there, I guess. Thank you so much. Okay, okay, <laughs> okay. Have a nice <laughs> okay, day, man. How do I end okay, this? Bye, thing? bye. <laughs>